Hey guys, this is Sarah Hader, here to present you with the product of the second convening of the quote-unquote intellectual brown web. Now, if you don't know what that is, if you didn't, if you missed the first episode, uh, well, I'll give you a short summary. It's a, a, a small group of people from Middle East, South Asian backgrounds, uh, discussing a wide range of issues in American society today, race, identity, religion. We have um, Razib Khan, who is a population geneticist. He has a really popular substack that you all should check out and I will link to. Um, Razib is an atheist like me um, and kind of a, he's, a, he's a conservative, I think, um, full-blown conservative. Um, there is Shadi Hamid joining us also, who is... Uh, a senior fellow of, at, at Brookings. Um, Shadi has written some books in the past, uh, two very interesting ones, um, including one called Islamic Exceptionalism, which I recommend. Uh, he, yeah, he, he, he touches on a lot of issues relating to Middle East policy. And we have uh, Murtaza Hussein, um, who is a reporter at The Intercept, um, who writes about national security and foreign policy. Murtaza and Shadi are both believers. Razib and I are both, uh, you know, ex-Muslims, I guess. Razib wouldn't really go with that label, but atheists, let's just say we're both atheists. Um, and we could, you know, convene this group from, uh, you know, it started from some Twitter thread of, of someone. And, uh, you know, we were all recognizing that there was a time in the past where we would not have wanted to have a conversation together. We would be too different in our uh, goals, in our assumptions about the world, in our uh, you know political perspectives. But something has been changing as of late, and there's kind of been a realignment. Um, and we decided that we wanted to talk about this uh, and discuss the varying issues that that surround this re realign realignment. Uh, in the first episode, we got to know each other a little bit, um, and then we, we covered a wide range of issues and ended up talking about religion in a very broad sense. Um, I think you guys would really enjoy that conversation, so if you haven't listened to it, um, I have it linked in this post, and you should listen to it. Um, but it's not uh, necessary to, to have listened to it to listen to this one. Uh, in this episode, we discuss the cleavage that seems to be occurring between American Muslims and the left. But, you know, really, this is Muslims all over the Western world and the progressive left, especially in regards to LGBTQ issues. Um, and this leads to a more general conversation about gender. Uh, we we talk about you know what what we should tolerate as part and parcel of a pluralistic society um, what is, you know, an acceptable idea, an acceptable belief, an acceptable practice, uh, whether we have the right to, to legislate on, on a personal practice of, of someone and, and where we should draw the line, really. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, we disagreed a lot. Uh, we agreed at some times, too. Uh, it is always an intriguing conversation with these guys that leaves me much to think about afterwards. I think you guys will agree. So um, let me know what you think and what your what your thoughts and comments are. All right. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are here for another episode of the IBW. Uh, this is the second episode, actually. Uh, and we have a topic today uh, that is ID IBW uh, adjacent, I would say. Um, we were we're going to talk about what's happening with Muslims in the West and, uh, you know, queer folk or LGBTQIA plus plus whatever. Uh, what's been happening in the last month, actually a couple of months, even as far back as last year in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, is that groups of Muslims have been objecting to some of the um, educational materials and also, um, you know, trans visibility, queer visibility in public spaces. Uh, and this has been causing issues because traditionally, or at least since 9-11, um, Muslims have been in coalition with the left. They've been part of the left's broader coalition, even though uh, in many ways, you know, culturally they were, there were some differences, but there was kind of a modus vivendi. And it's really breaking out to the open now that there are some deep differences. And, um, you know, in 
in Hamtramck. I think that's the way you pronounce it. This is town in Michigan, which is a majority Muslim. The plural majority, I think, is Bangladeshi, but there's a lot of Yemenis, too. The city council is Muslim. And recently uh, they banned all flags but the American flag. Uh, and this had to do with Pride Month here in the United States, I think worldwide in June. And they didn't want the they didn't want the queer flag or gay. I don't know, gay, the pride flag, which has been evolving over the last couple of years. So I'm a little little confused about that. And um, some of the discussions really interesting to me because some of these Muslim immigrants, and I think that's an important point. They're not most of them are not American born, from what I can tell. Um, they were maybe arrived here in their youth, but, you know, they they have cultural context elsewhere uh they're talking very patriotically about the american flag and that's the only flag that should be up which okay like in the post 9-11 era that would be like okay what's going on here with muslim americans right and there are right-wing um influencers thinkers people like laura ingram uh who are supporting them against uh, you know broadly a coalition of queer activists trans activists uh gay activists who are a little shocked and some of the gay groups themselves are quite um, confused as to what's going on. Now, uh, Sarah had a Substack uh, post about this topic and uh, just what Muslim Americans can kind of expect going forward, uh, which is, <laughs> um, I guess, like not much uh, from their erstwhile allies is what the post kind of indicated. And so, Sarah, can you can you talk about your perspective and then... Um, also, like I didn't really like, introduce the IBW here real quick, so I'll just do that. Uh, Sarah Heider, uh, A Special Place in Hell, and she has her own Substack as well, so check that out. I'll put the links there. We have Shadi Hamid, uh, who is a senior fellow. You're a senior fellow, right? That's the term. Yeah. At Brookings. He's got Wisdom of Crowds uh, with Demir, and then also his own Substack, and I'll put the links for that. And Murtaza, you're mostly at The Intercept, right? Mm-hmm. Murtaza Hussein. Okay, so we got we got the affiliations, whatever you guys get that. So Sarah, talk about your Razib. It's kind of messed up though that you said Sarah has a special place in hell, just because she's an ex-Muslim. Come on, man, that's not cool. (laughs) All right, you know what? I am a subscriber to her um, to her podcast, so maybe I get confused that not everybody knows that that's her podcast with Megan Daum. It's very good. Um, I do, I do, and I'm also um, also reply guy. I leave like really annoying comments, which I'm sure Sarah notices. <laughs> um, but uh, she did talk about the fact that she has no soul recently. You guys should listen to that episode. I'll put a link for that. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. podcast is about like the special place in hell is after the the Madeline Albright. It, quote you guys know what i'm talking about where she says there's a special place in hell for women who don't support each other or oh, yeah, women who right. don't support other women or something like that so we thought that was funny and uh we we took that as a name anyway yeah so this um contra- i mean, i i have i feel like i'm repeating myself a lot and then this last post about this um islam and pride controversy i feel like i was saying a lot of the things i've been saying for a long time but it's hitting home uh in a way that it maybe didn't hit home before. I feel that now that Muslims are sort of, uh, they're, they're coming out as people who have actual values and beliefs that, uh, that are, you know, they, they are, they are meaningful in their own lives um, and are different than what progressives feel, especially, especially when it comes to social issues. Um, Muslims are going to be sidelined in a very interesting way. And I think that this hasn't been the Muslim experience in the last, you know, 10 years since the war on terror, that hasn't been um, something Muslims have experienced. So it'll, it will be new, um, but perhaps conservative Muslims have always seen this. So I, I phrase it as they're about to get the, the ex-Muslim treatment, um, which is to say that you're going to be talked over a lot. Um, there's going to be, uh, you know, an effort, a, you know, concerted effort to ignore that there are true conservative values going on, or just just values that are different than the the the, the extreme progressive values. Um, and there were there are going to be uh, Muslim representatives that are going to pop up all over the place. People who I termed minos, Muslims in name only, um, which is to say the kinds of people who really just use Islam as like a, it's like a, it's a vibe for them. It's a stylistic choice for them. It's a, it's a, it's a clothing, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's food. Um, it's superficial things and not really values. Um, and they're going to come out and they're going to say that, you know, Muhammad was the first queer activist. 
So, <laughs> so that's that's sort of my no. But wait, Sarah, just a second. I mean, no one's wait. You think someone is going to say Muhammad was the first queer activist, or has that no, already? Been- I, I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit. I mean, I mean, it's it, they're going to be people who are who are going to come out very progressive Muslims, or they're going to appear to be progressive Muslims. I think that they are just not truly Muslims at all. Um, who are going to weave Islam as something that is very much in line with progressive social values today. And they're going to say, this is true Islam. In true Islam, you know, we we want tolerance for whichever group. But that doesn't mean that they're not like serious Muslims or practicing. I mean, there are practicing Muslims who believe in a progressive interpretation of Islamic law or... Mm -hmm kind of transcending the kind of limitations of pre-modern Islamic law. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to say like those people are necessarily less Muslim or not Muslim at all, right? I mean, if they if they consider themselves Muslim and they pray and they fast and they believe the theological basis of Islam, they should have the right to kind of say that Islam is actually in line with progressive values. I don't agree with them. That's so so you position. think Islam is a set of practices and not a set of beliefs? Like, is that how you would characterize Islam? No, Islam is about a creed. But these people, as far as I can tell, seem to believe in the creed, which is monotheism, Prophet Muhammad being the last prophet, um, the, the divinity of the Quran, uh, the existence of an afterlife. These are the things that you are required to believe to be Muslim most other things are secondary like what you what you think about what the quran says about homosexual acts is not a primary issue that's not at the center of your relationship with god that's just an opinion that you might have about a couple verses in the quran does that make sense it it does make sense except they're not just a couple of verses are they i mean uh, they are part and parcel of a larger view on social relations, and they don't often. I mean, they don't come, uh, you know, by uh, in in an isolated form. You don't see people who are just like, okay, I, I I support gay rights, but in all other contexts, they're very extremist Muslims. It's a package deal. You are either somebody who feels liberally about social re- relations. You have a certain perspective on social issues, um, and it seems to me that. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, that it is possible to have just an ideological, uh, you know, a true belief that Islam really is progressive. I'm not sure if that's what's actually happening. I think what we're seeing are people who are uh, taking their l- religion lightly. You know, not that they're reinterpreting it, but that they are taking it lightly, similarly to, to sim- in a similar sense to what we see with Christians. So I think that uh, I understand what you're saying. People are going to try to use uh, Islam as a liberal identity, like just mm-hmm. treating it as a cultural sort of signifier. Mm-hmm. I think there are people like that as well. To Shadi's point, I think also there are some people who sincerely, like, for instance, like this idea of syncretism of religions. For instance, when like a religion goes to a different area, when like Muslims came to India, some of them start reinterpreting Islam to fit local mm-hmm ideas and culture and practice and they created like a different type of thing which maybe like you know arab muslims at that time would not have recognized it yeah too too much compromise and so forth so in america like you know the religion of america is not really christianity anymore in the mainstream decreasingly so at least if it is and the civic religion which we don't really have a name for is what people motivates people very passionately so people who you know are muslim and you know came from muslim majority countries and came here maybe a minority of them but some of them are going to want to have a syncretic version which mixes with the local religion which is maybe progressivism and so forth Mm -hmm. so this issue of gender and sexuality is the core of american civic religion now they're going to want to find a way of you know making them reconcile and a lot of Mm -hmm. people are going to reject it most people muslims around the world are going to reject it's a minority opinion but in the limited context of america it may make sense to a lot of people and they may also still want to hold on to the connection to God and so forth, which Shadi is mentioning. And a lot of people are going to reject that. They're going to say that, you know, I, I agree with you. It's actually not just a, a few verses of the Quran and so forth. Most people say it's like based on a very consistent and specific idea of human relations, which this is just not logically part of. But they're going to argue just as strongly that, hey, you look at X, Y, and Z thing. And it's very hard to act as an arbiter who is right or wrong. I can say mm-hmm. 
door you're going to be in the morning. But you know, I don't know. People have that syncretic beliefs. Yeah, but there aren't there aren't that many verses about homosexuality. If you're talking about like gender relations more broadly, for sure. But I think that's a different category, like yeah, the I role of women in Islam. And I actually do think there's some legitimacy to certain arguments where you know self-described Muslim feminists or Islamic feminists say that you know for it you know you guys have probably heard this it's apologetics in a way but for its time islam was revolutionary and very forward looking when it came to women's rights in the 7th century and if that is like the essential principle people can sort of um it's similar to how people talk about islam and slavery that like you introduce a kind of forward looking approach and then over time you assume that progress will continue. So Islam has, it, it had major inducements to freeing slaves. It didn't outlaw slavery, but with all those inducements, over time, the argument would be you'd have less and less slaves. And, you know, in the broader sweep of history or time, Islam would move in this progressive direction. Similar arguments are made about how Islam approaches, you know, women's rights, for example. Mm. I'm not saying right. that I'm not saying that we have to agree mm. with these things, but just to say that you can go to a text, even a divine text, and you're going to bring your own subjectivity to it. If you mm -hmm. want to find progressive things in the Quran, you can find them. If you want to find really, you know, so-called fundamentalist or extreme things, you can find verses that support you or seemingly support you there. But like none of us is reading the Quran in a truly objective way because we are flawed human beings who come into the text with our own baggage and we can't get rid of that baggage. So I'm a product of liberal society in America. When I go to the Quran, I'm going to bring that with me, right? Right. Well, but that's true. So that's true of everything all the time, right? I mean, that's a like a kind of an obvious thing that's true of anything we read, anything, any creed or belief or idea that we pick up. I'm not pushing back on that. Um, what I'm saying is if we focus only on the way that individuals bring their own individuality on things that we're, we are sort of sidestepping the conversation of is Islam, does Islam uh, see gay people differently than Christianity sees them? Or is there less flexibility in Islam um, when it comes to certain, you know, very socially progressive values um, and that's a sort of it's it's a different conversation actually and it doesn't you know it, it i agree with you that different people bring in we bring in our own individualities onto things but um i i do have to say i do agree with what you're saying murtaza i don't um i i think that islam is going to evolve um american islam has is already different than whatever you see um in uh, whatever you might call it, like global Islam or Islam in the East or Islam in a particular part of the world, you, this is a, this is a different kind of religion. Um, and I agree with that, but I think that what we're seeing right now is this space in which this, uh, this, this American Islam, Islam hasn't fully evolved. And there's a big gap between what Islam is as practiced by the majority of mis Muslims in the United States or the majority of people who will, who, who, who hold their faith as very important in their life and progressive social agenda. And what we're seeing right now, the tensions, like the conversation is going to be about what, what now? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that the issue also is that the kind of more orthodox conservative, conservative view of Islam is probably the majority view. And also it's more institutionalized. So you have like the big, you know, any institution really has that view, even care, which, uh, you know, people are familiar with, seemed to be quite left liberal organization in the past 20 years, came out very forcefully uh, quite conservative on this issue. So that shows you the real like red lines and actual ideological orientation, which is fine. It's totally their right to, to do that way. But just it's interesting, something different from what we expected last generation. I think that because of 9-11, it was a very defining event for Muslims in America, obviously. And it also it happened at a time where progressive ideology, whatever you want to call it, was sort of, you know, reaching the current state it's in. So because at that time, Muslims were seen as like a victim class or oppressed and so forth, they were sort of put into that coalition, even if it was 
uh, illogical for other reasons or contradictory for other reasons. We just kind of people kind of looked around it or didn't take, didn't focus on that aspect of it. But now that I think we're in the post post nine eleven era, so that framework is going away. Muslims have become more normal in society, you could say. So, you know, defending themselves is less of the priority. It's more about you know having an assertive sort of view of their own values in society and because most of them are conservative, which I think everyone can you know, agree on for the most part, at least. They're gonna like push back against this, and also they don't—they don't want to make Islam a identity. They don't view Islam that way. It's not like a—you know—you can be uh, reform Judaism in the United States, and Judaism—you can be an atheist even. But it's your lineage that actually determines your identity. Islam is not passed down by lineage; it's more like a creed. So you can't really make it that same way, I think. And I think we're seeing the implications that play out. Yeah, and I—I and I, I want to be clear here that I, I was—I was pushing back, Sarah, but I'm actually probably on the same side of a debate as as you seem to be on this. I think that this kind of brown rebellion or Muslim rebellion that we're seeing is a good thing. I don't think Muslims in America should be suppressing their conservative values just to fit into the Democratic Party. Also, that's kind of like a colonial relationship. So the Democratic Party and like white liberals accept us only in so far as we go along with their social agenda. That's bullshit. And, you know, we should be very clear about calling them out and telling them that, look, you talk about equality and race and white privilege and all of that. Well, act like it instead of imposing your views on the Muslim minority population in the U.S. So I'm glad to see Muslims saying enough is enough like especially when it comes to public education in our local school districts, we should have the right to have a say over what our kids get in elementary or middle school. And it's not just Muslims, um, increasingly Hispanics and even even Black Christians to, to some degree, we are seeing a kind of shift. And if Muslims are able to kind of build a multiracial, multireligious coalition against this white liberal craziness, more power to us and more power to the people we're coalitioning with. So that to me is like, that's a really promising future. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether white liberals are going to accept it or go along with it. Well, you know what? Um, If they want to win elections, they need us. So I'm not uh, sure so, they really do, have- they, do they need us? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I, I gotta jump. I gotta jump here. I've been quiet. Um, you should write a novel, uh, Shadi, about what happens in the 2020s with a working class Muslim non-white coalition. The novel should be called Submission. No, just- <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so, I, <laughs> so I do have to say, um, as we're talking, you know, we were talking about Muslims, Muslims, Muslims. Uh, I, I think actually, so I have actually gotten a fair amount of correspondence on this, mostly because I'm visible as a as a person on the right uh, in science Twitter from people who are really concerned about gender theory. Um, I'm not going to name the person, but, you know, there's someone from a Muslim country who is an atheist, but they're a cultural Muslim, I would say. They still go to masjid with their family and stuff. And they're very, cons- and they're very liberal, actually. They're very visibly liberal online, but the trans stuff, they're not on board with. They're an immigrant. They don't really understand all the categories. And, you know, he's telling me that he's starting to see sermons at the masjid about uh, homosexuality in a way that he's never seen before. And it all has to do with the kids and the trans. And so when we're talking about Muslims here, this is not just about Muslims. This is about the majority of Americans, candidly. There are, there's a group of white liberals uh, who disagree on this, and they are extremely powerful, assertive, and uh, determinative in our broader culture. And these white liberals have been in a pretty tight alliance uh, in the post 9-11 period with various people of color and various types of activists and in particular like Muslims in name only but also care and all these other groups were in alliance with American liberal organizations but what we're talking about here to be clear is not just homosexuality it is actually a redefinition and a reconceptualization of what it is to be human so you know we use the word gender okay what what does that really mean i mean I used to use sex in the 20th century, like as most of us probably remember when it was like you're born male or female, you're a man or a woman. And now you have all these categories. Sex is a spectrum. And with the trans stuff, I think the key trans and queer in general. And I think what you're seeing in Dearborn, Michigan and what the Muslim parents are reacting to is this, in my opinion, you guys can can like talk about this, but it's the affirmation. OK, like it's not just tolerance. 
it's not just even like acceptance of private or even legal equality when it comes to visiting someone in the hospital when they're dying and you've been with them for 40 years. Okay. Like I think most people can understand that, but to affirm that this um, way of being is equivalent and interchangeable with two parents, whether we succeed or fail, that is an aspiration of many Americans. And it is an aspiration of many cultures and many societies. So like in China, very different than the Muslim world or the West, but Confucianism is based on the family bonds, right? A uh, man and a woman and children and grandparents, like these sorts of things. Well, with this new, I- this new model that's coming out of, you know, radical spaces of the queer movement, political, social movement. It's not all queer people, not all gay people, et cetera, say not all, obviously, but it is a reconceptualization of what it means to be human and how you create your identity and what is really, really important in your identity. Okay. So like who you have sex with, who you, what you choose to be and the, the, the cutting fr- edge frontier, which is really weird to even talk about today is the idea that we shouldn't impose puberty on children. Okay, they should get Sarah's laughing because she's she's a reactionary. But um, but this is like a real view where people are starting to present this as not just like laugh out loud bizarre. They're starting to present this like whether you're a man, whether you're a man or a woman is a choice and you shouldn't force it on your children. Like that's a human rights violation. I'm giving an extreme view, but it's not so extreme that it's not heard of anymore. So I think we just need to put in perspective that what Muslims are reacting to is they're giving voice to something that's very common. And that's why Laura Ingram and all the the Christians are coming to their side, because they're saying what people think. And because they're immigrants and they're brown (laughs) immigrants, um, they don't know any better uh, to not speak up. And so they're doing it. Yeah, they also have a license to do it. Like, so I think that if you're a white person, you're going to be much more careful about saying these things out loud. But Muslims and brown people in general still do have some protection by virtue of being minorities. It is harder for people to demonize us. So I think that that gives like a particular strength to this part of the Democratic Party's coalition if they decide to continue continue speaking up. Um, But yeah, I think that I'll just say anecdotally, I've been struck, especially in the last year, being around Muslims and how often the trans issue comes up in casual conversation. I I don't want to like overstate this, but not even just Muslims. I feel like almost almost any kind of gathering I go to, including with people I don't even know, if I'm like speaking at something in a college somewhere and it's private. Like you'll find people bringing this up without prompting in a way that I find just extremely striking. And then, you know, part of me is sympathetic to the idea that, you know, trans people, only about 1% of the population should we really be making this the defining issue of our politics. But I think the other view is that similar to what you said, Razib, that this issue is actually a proxy for a much bigger set of foundational questions about like the ontological self. And I think that people increasingly see it that way as speaking to really foundational questions about gender identity, the human person and so forth. So I think, I think that a growing number of Muslims are saying we were okay with Um, moving forward on gay rights. We were willing to go along with that. We weren't thrilled about it, but we'll do it. Um, Versus now where it's like, if this keeps on going on, uh, we're going to have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, that's what I've been hearing increasingly. I mean, just the other day, um, you know, a family friend was talking about how she, um, she loves NPR, but her experience with NPR during pride month was that it was just like perpetually about gender idea, the trans issue and all these other things. And she actually cut down her monthly contribution and told them that like, listen guys, like I'm fine with this, but like this can't be everything NPR is about like during pride month. It's like, there's gotta be a balance here. But like, just to say that, I think that people are going, you know, people are going to actually start acting on these sentiments instead of simply just feeling them and keeping them private. You know, Razib, you mentioned this book earlier, Submission by Michel Huibeck. There's another book by him 
I think Shadi's read, Sarah's may have read as well too, it's called The Elementary Particles. So it's sort yep. of a similar theme in a way, but from a very different angle. And the book is kind of about the uh, abolishment of humanity by technology. And not the abolishment like humans don't exist, but humans become something totally different as a result of technological change. So I think that the subtext of a lot of uh, these anxieties and these discussions is the fact that because of the you know, advancements of technology, you can actually change the self in a way you couldn't in ways before. So maybe the desire to, uh, you know, forestall puberty or something has always existed, perhaps in human beings, normally knows. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now you can actually do it with you know, yeah. technology. Yeah. So that's like the first step to a lot of other things you could do. You could do who knows yeah. what you can stop doing. So I think turn yourself into a cat. Turn yourself into a cat. Don't yeah. just identify as a cat, but like so. Okay, so let me just say really quick, and Sarah, I think I want you to speak. Just, but I want to say really quickly because I've been in transhumanist adjacent circles since the two thousands, so I, I do know some of these people. Originally, transhumanism was really it was like super autistic people, and we're thinking about like brain uploads and weird things like that. Maybe some cybernetic modifications. Um, the trans stuff is literally transhumanism in a way where it's like it's transcending who you're born. Um, I one thing I will say that it's somewhat different is is the the transhumanism that I knew from the 2000s, like the Ray Kurzweil type people, and I still know them. They're mostly not woke. Um, for them, transhumanism is not a new identity. It's just kind of like okay, you're you're becoming more than you could be. I think the difference here is it's conne- the connection of identity politics to technological transhumanism, and that's the issue where I'm just like, okay, what's going on here? Because uh, not only do you change yourself, but you demand respect and validation for who you are, as if you know, it's just as good or even better. And that was never part of the original idea that I remember. Um, this is something that's happened as technology is spread into society. And humans, I guess, are identitarian. They want to create little groups, uh, little, you know, platoons that are special. And they want recognition of their of their speciality. And how far is this going to go? I think the issue with Muslims is like, you know, they explicitly are saying, like a lot of people, like conservative Christians, who are ignored because who cares? Like, who cares about the animals? You know what I'm saying? Um, it's like, evangelical is going to evangelical but when the muslims are doing it's like oh okay wait these are our allies what's going on here people are taking notice right it's like we are not going to abolish the distinction between man and woman male and female and also like the centrality of the nuclear family i mean this was something that was speculated in the late 20th century by radical activists but i think it is happening on the left even though you know white liberals tend to live in the 1950s and they're in their private life they're now starting to espouse views of the equality and just the exchangeability of all types of ways of living. And a lot of people are not down with that. No matter how much they fail in their personal life, they are not down with the abolition of that ideal. So Sarah, you should just go, but I just wanted to say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that there's a lot to respond to. I'm trying to think about what I should answer. For, first, I, I do want to clarify, um, in terms of uh, the, the Muslim protests, the Muslims in Montgomery County, the parents um, who are who are mad about the inclusion of pride related materials in 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 schools i'm on the side of the parents just just want to get that out out there i think that they have a right to know what's going on in their children's education i'm glad that they're stepping up and i think that we're going to see muslims uh be placed in this kind of position partially because they have the the i mean as you guys mentioned they are protected a little bit by their by their marginalized status, I suppose, but also because they have a community in which they're not going to be ostracized. So they might get ostracized if they were very fully in part of enmeshed in a liberal community, but in their own families and friend networks, uh, they're not going to be ostracized in the same way. They can talk about this more openly uh, than other groups can. So there's, there's something about the fact that they have this religion uh, as a glue and a community that's based around this religion as a glue that allows them to speak up and kind of be the, I mean, almost, almost the spokespeople for, for this kind of thing. I am a little bit concerned that the argument is going to become about uh, belief versus, you know, science. That's what, how the, how this is going to be spun um, in the media that there, there's Christian conservatives and Muslim conservatives and they're, you know, religious. Wait, 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 wait. And they have these kinds Sarah, of beliefs. 
Do you not trust the science? You're right, but that's that's exactly that's what they're going to say. They're going to say we're the science people, and uh, the uh, you know the, the this such and such institution has this study, and so I mean, what I don't like that the debate is going to become about belief versus quote unquote science. It really is about belief versus belief, which I think that we should be you know someone needs to parse that out that the progressive. Um, understand new understanding of sex and gender is in itself um, a kind of belief. I'm I'm nervous uh, about the fact that this will be spun as simply a, a and a respect our religious beliefs when there's when we should have a more we should have a secular conversation about the claims that are being made by progressives about what sex is, what gender is, and whether we should accept that as a society, not just, okay, you can, you can do what you want to your child. You can give them puberty blockers if you want, but I have the right to not give them to my child. Okay. That that's true. That's, that's sure. Maybe, but perhaps we shouldn't give any child puberty blockers, you know, perhaps that that is wrong on all fronts. And we need to be able to have that conversation on a secular sort of not not a, a conversation that has nothing to do with the religious beliefs um and um to razib's point uh yeah i'm really uh concerned about the kind of I- the ideology that's building up around uh the question of gender which is what it means to be what it means to be you what it means to be me so much of it, it does involve this idea that i uh, it, you know i i i have the right to to choose every aspect of my of my existence, um, not just the the you know the simple things like where I choose to live, what school I choose to go to, but um, uh, it, what what kind of person I want to be, what kind of family I want to have, um, and then it just sort of which is all, which, are, which is things that we can all agree with, but then it kind of expands from there on out um, and gets into the realm of I should be able to choose what genitals I have and. In order for that choice to be truly a choice, it cannot be attached to any kind of stigma, which is where you get to this you know, affirmation bit that Razib was, was mentioning, that in order for my choice to be truly a ch- free choice, it also has to be a stigma-free choice, um, which means that you must participate in it to some de- degree. You must also say that I have made, in fact, a good choice. Um, the, the secondary effect, or maybe this is the direct, maybe this is the intended effect of all this, is that we as a society are not able to have any kind of, you know, norms that we can all agree upon. Um, if it is the case that all lifestyles are equivalent and equally good and equally moral, um, all choices that we make as individuals um, are equally good and equally moral, then we don't have, we don't have norms. Um, and I don't know how you hold a society together if you don't in fact have some, you know, s- some ways of living and being and behaving that are in fact better than other ways. But but Sarah, like the liberal side in this debate isn't saying that all lifestyles and approaches are equally valid. They're saying that one particular lifestyle and approach to the question of gender is valid, right, moral, correct, because they're looking at evangelicals and they're looking at Muslim conservatives and saying, your lifestyle is the wrong one. The way that you're approaching this is wrong. So I think every, I mean... Unless I misunderstand, I feel like everyone. Well, no, because coming. they're saying the lifestyles that are like they're saying that the way that we need to live in this, the way that our society should function is, is that we accept um, that, that we we all believe. You're right that there is one uniformity there that we all believe that everyone has, uh, you know, a free uh, choice to be however they want to choose whatever lifestyle that they want, and that we will all affirm it. So there is a sense in which, yes, we all have to agree on that, and and in that to that degree, Muslims don't. Muslims, yeah, cons- but but they don't believe that for like evangelical choices or Orthodox Jewish choices. They believe they that act- the choices would be okay if the evangelicals also then said gay pride. Right, but that's not possible for most evangelicals. So right. in a sense, right. they're saying to evangelicals you're you're bigots you're bad yes. you're backwards right. so i think what we're so this is a clash of different ideologies and right. different uh, so yeah yeah which we gotta we gotta difficult. face this we gotta face this so here let me just add, like i got kids 
Um, Sarah's got kids. Uh, you know, here's one thing. Um, in terms of tolerance and acceptance, you know, there's, you know, these are questions like, what, 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 what would you do if if your kid was gay? You know, these are questions. There are people. There's like different ca- classes. There's people that would flip out. There's people that wouldn't be happy, but they're like, you know, this is what it is. There's other people like it's exactly the same as if they weren't gay. Okay, so these are like spectrum reactions. So what, what, what would happen if you're a 12 year old? says, you know, I'm trans, you know, and like, how would you react? Like, there's a spectrum of reactions. And this spectrum of reactions is reflecting, I think, a lot of the views of people to this policy question and where they line up, right? There are parents like, you know, um, in my social circles, extended social circles, there are parents with trans kids. And some of those parents would be okay with um, their daughter getting a mastectomy at 13. Okay, like, are you okay with people being okay? Is that parents' rights? I mean, these are some like, Difficult questions. I mean, they weren't difficult questions 10, 15 years ago, but um, they are difficult questions now. And I think we do need to confront it. Um, And, you know, a lot of the experts, you know, the AMA, like all these associations, um, they, you know, the experts have different views than the majority of Americans. And that's another thing we need to confront. Like, do we trust the experts? I think there is a crisis of expertise, especially after the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of you in the audience probably forgot about that. Um, But I think there's other things that are going on also in the background uh, relating to elites and how they relate to the populace. If I I just want to add one thing, because the case in the, the town of, uh, I always, I don't know how to pronounce it. Hamark. It's Hamtramck. Hamtramck. Yeah. So I think there's, I think there's a set of questions around, um, you know, trans issues and puberty and so forth. In Hamtramck, we see a very different kind of debate that I think brings to bear some other issues. You have a Muslim majority council that was duly elected in this small city and they voted accordingly with their conservative values and they introduced an ordinance that official city buildings are not going to have uh pride flags that that to me well any flags any flags besides the american flag or like the state flag like you know those like those two or three flags look I think that there's a legitimate argument to be made that public buildings, public institutions should not put forward a normative conception of the good. They shouldn't buildings that are effectively the property of all Americans should not tell Americans with flags like this is the way for you to be because then it's not for everyone. Then you are actually dividing people based on their beliefs. Just like I wouldn't want to have um, a city building saying, um, you know, Islam is the best available religion. I'm just trying to think of something that would be like vaguely comparable or like an Islam flag that is there to basically say Islam is good. Like, I think that there is a really important principle here that America's public institutions should not be involved in ideological debates of this nature. They shouldn't take a position on what kind of way of life is better than another. That is an imposition on the agency and choice and preferences of individual Americans. And I just don't think it's the role of the state to do that. So whatever else you think about, whether the the pride flag, I think it's possible to say the pride flag is awesome. I'm cool with everyone, like any private um, business or whatever, you know, taking part in these festivities. But it's different when the state is taking a position on Pride Month and elected officials should have some say in that, presumably. But, but, the, but you know, the state is, I mean, you're an international relations foreign policy guy, Shadi, like we are pushing it uh, internationally in other countries. So and our I, government. Yeah. Our government is taking a position. And I just don't think that's appropriate, just as I don't think our government should be taking a position on the appropriate role of religion in other countries. Like, that's not for us to decide. So if we're going to other countries or going to our own citizens and saying, here are the things that you should believe, and they're pretty fundamental questions. When we talk about gay marriage, for example, that is a pretty foundational question and I just don't think the American government should be 
promoting particular approaches to this. I mean, I, you know, certainly not abroad. But yes, I, I, I do take your point that that is effectively what the U.S. does. It does bring up, there was this crazy, there's this like an article I, that I just like stumbled on a, a couple months ago where like Tony Blinken said something kind of absurd that every time he meets with his Saudi counterparts, he brings up LGBTQ issues. I don't know if this is like some kind of joke they're playing on us, but if Tony Blinken really does that, like that is concerning. Like that just shows that we're so divorced from reality and what Saudi Arabia really needs. The, anyway, well, okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let I'll let Mortaza speak because I think he hasn't spoken in a while. I do want to say one thing that I think is, you know, and I want to reiterate it because I think I've said this before. I think the 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 demand for affirmation is causing a lot of problems. The demand for tolerance even like acceptance like how depending on how you defer i think they you know this is like you know when i was growing up in the 1990s people wanted to be tolerant i mean like gay people in the united states were under physical threat some in some places they still are but broadly all over the place they were under physical threat of being like beaten up you know sometimes murdered but really usually like physical abuse now i don't think that's as common in many urban areas in particular but now there's a uh, there's a demand for affirmation this is what evangelical protestants said in the 1990s i'm not gonna lie i laughed i thought like what what does that even mean but now the government like people like rachel levine are saying you know we need to affirm the trans identity you know and that is a demand on the public and a lot of the public is balking and that is the issue at hand that i think is triggering a lot of this uh it, you know, setting aside the specifics, the demand for affirmation of these, what used to be alternative lifestyles, but now they're more like equivalent lifestyles. Anyway, I'll just stop there. Yeah, you know, I think there's potentially a very simple solution, which is that, okay, we live in a neutral liberal state, and we should. And as part of that, we have a diversity of views of how to live best. And we don't all agree with each other, but that's okay. We're united by something else, which is our shared investment in this particular constitutional order and citizenship and so forth. And that can should include uh, you know, promoting tolerance of different types of groups of people, sexual identity and gender and so forth as well, too. And awareness as well. It should, could be part of schools. Like Kids are aware this is something that exists and you should know about this and you know be tolerant and respectful as your fellow citizens. Uh, I think that, yeah, but you know, it's very hard to, when you have the state setting in as an arbiter of what's right or wrong it becomes more like the Catholic Church a little bit. It becomes like, you know, the presence like the Pope of American civic religion. And then you have to, you're on one side or the other, which is very polarizing. It's very divisive. And, you know, people have different opinions, very strongly, passionately held. If you are arbitrating them, you're going to polarize people in a very extreme way. I will say that, you know, to play devil's advocate, it's like, you know, some people will say, well, this actually is not a contingent view of reality in the particular position. It's the truth. Because, you know, would you say that uh, in the 60s, like being discriminatory against African-Americans, would that be like just an opinion? And states can have a different set of value. We can all disagree, disagree. But they'll say, no, no, there should be one rule as a universal rule. And they decide that very strongly made part of America's international identity, actually. So I think that's kind of the same way they view it. It's not that... Uh, it's a contingent opinion. It's like, this is the truth. Yeah. And it's a universal truth about humanity. And of course, it should be part of America's foreign policy because... Who were they to decide that? I, I mean, but like, I, I, I know you, maybe you don't actually believe this, uh, Morteza, but that then they're imposing their views on other Americans and how... Yeah, it's like a religion. It's like, it's like a religion. Yeah. It's, it's like a... Yeah. No. And, and they should realize that that's what they're doing. I mean, that's why I think it's important to call this out that in that case, they are taking a faith-based position and then asking other people to believe in what they believe. So it gets to like a fundamental question of, are we able to accept that there are multiple truth claims that can coexist in a pluralistic society? That's what I think we have to get people to. You believe you're under, fine, you can believe anything you want as strongly as you want, but you have to accept that there's going to be some Americans who take exception to the new consensus. It's not a full consensus. So they need to be... It's a minority. It's not actually even the majority. But it's a majority of elites. It's a majority... Mm -hmm. Like, if we look at mainstream institutions, they think yeah. that it's a consensus oh, yeah. in their world. Well, yeah. Um. So I, I think... It 
I think Murtaza was is was right. Your devil's advocate is right that they they don't see this as um, they don't see this as a as a belief at all. They see this as something that it, this is just reality. This is the state of the science and the fact that institutions are on their side. So many professional institutions, medical institutions are on their side. It is easy for them to make that case. And that is why, you know, this, the, the, the way in which our institutions have been captured by this ideology is very, very concerning. Um, you know, I, I think that unfortunately we will have to take a position on this. Shadi, you said something about many, many conceptions of truth, uh, being able to coexist or something like that, that that is something that we should be aspiring to. I don't, I think there are some truths that we actually have to exist on, uh, agree on. Like we have to, we have to come to some kind of consensus about what is sex and does, you know, what is gender? Does it exist? Do we value it more than sex? I think that that is a public conversation that we have to have. And I think we have to agree because the, the, the two sides are not, they, they cannot, they cannot coexist because one side is saying, well, I, according to my beliefs, I should be allowed into the bathrooms or whatever private spaces of the 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 sex of my choice, which is you know my, my the gender of my choice, um, that can't coexist with the version of reality that says what matters is biological sex. So I think that this is a th- this is something that we we as a society do have to come to a, you know a, an agreement on. But we're not going. But we're not going to. Like I don't see how. Why, why not? How- why not? I don't see how this very powerful elite ideological approach can be defeated outright in the public arena, um, considering that powerful institutions are involved and oh, uh, people, uh, people uh, with a lot of cultural influence. But so that's yeah, yeah. why I don't know how that would work. I mean, it, you know, okay. Would, I disagree I, with that. No, I disagree with that. I disagree with that, Shadi, because, you know, a lot of powerful elites believed in socialism and communism, too. Uh, reality, real, nature abhors uh, going up, pushing the water uphill that much. Um, like, the fundamental issue is, like, so, like, religious people, you know, they believe, like, and God created man and woman, right? I'm not religious. But, I mean, male and female, you know, dimorphic, sexually dimorphic species are a thing in nature. You're going against nature. So, for example, I mean, Sarah's talked about this on her podcast. Um, you know, people like Lizzo are like, you know, being like hot is a state of mind. No, that's just BS. Okay, it's just wrong. Like it's just it's just it's a it's a mass delusion. You're going along with it to be polite. Um, so right now, you know, I have talked to like, you know, friends who are like, well, what if the trans stuff gets good enough that they can pass? Well, they can't pass now and they're not gonna pass for a long time. Um, they're not the same. I mean, they were gonna get canceled for the fortieth time, but look, you're not like you're not what you want to be like you're aspiring to something that you can't attain and um that's nature and that's humanity and at some point people are going to freak out when their kids are starting to do all these weird things and they're falling short of something that they can't attain you have to be like i'm never going to be in the nba i'm five eight i'm old i don't have the athletic skills i don't care what my what i put my mind to and i don't care what the elites declare they can only go so long until the preference cascade, preference falsification cascades collapses, right? So that's what I'm going to say. I think like ultimately they're going to fail because they're 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 running against reality. If you're religious, they're running against God's law. Yeah. There are religious there are religious people who literally think that this is satanic, that this is like Satan and the old gods coming back. I don't obviously believe that, but I can see why they would say that. Rizzi, look, I I get I you know I'm sympathetic to what, somewhat sympathetic to parts of what you said. But like at the end of the day, are we pluralists or not? Like I, my inclination is to always think that coming to a, a common conception of the good in a country like ours is very difficult. We're too big, unwieldy, ethnically, religiously diverse. It's very, it's very hard to get Americans now to agree on the big foundational questions, and I worry that trying to resolve these foundational questions and making that a goal of our politics is going to exacerbate polarization. It's going to make, it's going to produce more polarization. And I'm fine with some degree of polarization, but I think there comes a point where you say, well, there's too much of this and it's not helpful. And I, I just don't know if our goal should be like fighting institutional heft like maybe you're right that in 30 40 years people you know 
will return to a mean, people will come to their senses and so forth. But do we really want to spend the next 20 or 30 years making this the fundamental battle in a, in a culture war? Um, and this is also how I feel about wokeness in general. My issue isn't with wokeness. My issue is with the fact that wokeness is not tolerant of non-wokeness, if that makes sense. Like we're when we're in institutions, like it would never occur to me to want to fire a woke person. No, they should there should be woke people in institutions and writing and whatever else it might be. All we ask is that they return the favor. And I would make a similar demand. Like cert certain things like irreversible surgery, that can be legislated and already it is in some places. Um but uh but I think beyond yeah. Do you Sarah, do you have something to say? Yeah, I just I, th I think I don't I don't uh, there's a lot that I don't agree with there. One that I, I think there that uh, actually Americans do agree on a lot of things or have in the past. Um, and, and it's hard to you know, it, it, it feels as if we disagree on so much because we are, you know, we're we're fish in water and we don't recognize the extent to which Americans do agree on some fundamentals. Um, and it's you know, you know, it's that that feeling of when you run into, you know, somebody from you know, North Korea, and then, and then you rec you really recognize, whoa, I am an American. And there are, there are certain things that I never thought I held certain values. I didn't know that I, that I held up until this point when I've met somebody who doesn't share them. Um, and I, so I think that there, we, we actually do mostly agree on a lot of principles and when things become very heated in the culture war what we're actually seeing is a a bifurcation that is trying to resolve itself through conversation or or you know trouble or what what what, what have you but that's what we're doing right that's what we're going through right now we're going through this reconciliation process and it's going to get messy and really awful um but i think that it is worth reaching because it matters that some people believe things that are so outside the realm of reality that they are going to inevitably hurt people. In fact, that they are hurting people right now. So it, I, you know, from the live and let live perspective, I don't, I'm not, you know, maybe this means that I'm not a truly tolerant person, that there are limits to what I think other people should be able to do with, you know, when it comes to like affecting the normal development of a child, I feel like there are some limitations there that are, commonsensical and should be applied broadly regardless of how one uh identifies well maybe one like I, i'd be curious sarah like i think that there is actually a resolution here we have a democratic process for a reason because when voters can't agree on things and can't forge a consensus then they vote for who they want they vote for their ideological preferences and then those win the day. And then if people want to change their mind next time around, so be it on the local, state, and national level. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think that the fact that we are a vibrant democracy for all our flaws means that let's put, you know this should be up to voters. And if voters want to push back and 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 kind of legislate legislate limitations on certain kinds of surgeries at a very early age, they can do that. If other places want to go in a different direction on the local or state level, they can vote accordingly. I mean, what's wrong with having that as the effective settlement? I mean, isn't that precisely the point of why we have elections? Yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't disagree with that, and I don't think that that, yeah, I, 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 that is that is how we resolve things on a legislative level. But I just was touching on your general point of, well, we have you know this democracy, and we we do have different opinions and that's okay i think that's okay sometimes <laughs> it's it's okay different practices are okay sometimes different beliefs are okay sometimes actually many times but there are limitations um even even if i i, I even hesitate to say that i'm comfortable with with any state allowing surgeries on minors like any any state um, and this might be, this is, I'm revealing myself to be like an uber fascist, I guess, by, no, no, by, no, by, by saying this, because generally speaking, yeah, lots of civil libertarianism, yes, states should be able to determine things, lo localities should be able to determine how they want to live. Having said that, there have to be some limits. But Sarah, what you, what you just said is actually what they say about like our quote unquote side of this debate. They say, oh yeah, 
tolerance is great for the most part, but on some things we got to draw the line on some things there are limitations and we can't tolerate the intolerant. So it's, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously since we're the ones talking, we think that we're the ones who are right in this broader debate, but everyone is coming to the table, making a similar argument that they are on the side of the right side of history and the right side of truth. And if, if all the sides are saying the same thing, obviously I'm, we're not all right, but we have. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I just worry of setting this precedent that, oh, like we're the ones who have the truth. Therefore, sure. we will accept nothing less than victory. OK, OK. Like, let me let's just like wrap up here. I'm going to start with my own position because I think I think we we get your point. Uh, squish Hamid. No, <laughs> no. But um, so what I will say, I think like looming over this is. um. You know, some of us here believe in God and some of us don't. Uh, Me, myself, I believe in nature. Now, that doesn't mean that everything natural is good. I don't believe the naturalistic fallacy. But there are certain observations we can make from nature and from human society. So, for example, I disagree with polygamy. I disagree with polygamy mostly for instrumental reasons. There's a lot of social science, how it causes violence, blah, 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 right? Um, So what I'm trying to say here is... um, that's like something you see in human societies and how they vary. What we're talking about here is something radically fundamentally different. And that is why a lot of us are reacting um, more strongly because this is not a difference of a different way of, of being that has normally been in existence, right? This is like something totally new. It's a um, inversion, um, a kind of like a, a, a total like, um, flattening of the natural categories like male and female these are categories that are organized in all societies basically and now we just want to flatten it and so i think that you know some of us who are not religious are reacting from a position of like uh you know natural law is what i would say which is usually a catholic word but you know it obviously has like pre-christian analogs so that's where that's where i'm coming from murtaza yeah, you know, one thing, I, a reason I find this debate is particularly insoluble in the United States, because generally speaking, uh, most people are making utilitarian arguments about, you know, the welfare of the people affected by these policies or these practices and so forth. So, you know, you can make, Sarah made a very compelling argument, think about, you know, cause can cause harm to people. The people who are very pro, you know, whatever this kind of stuff is, they can make equally passionate arguments or you know, very, very passionate arguments about the harm caused by not, uh, you know, doing these sort of practices with kids and so forth. So it's kind of like, how do you rectify, how do you resolve that? Is there a study of like, which causes harm more? And so I think it's kind of going to be a stalemate in that sense. And maybe the best case scenario, which Shadi said, will kind of break down on uh, individual state lines or jurisdictional lines and so forth. And I think the reason the religious people, the very conservative religious people are the most adamant is because they're not making utilitarian arguments about harm. They don't, they actually don't care about that aspect of it at all. If it caused harm one way or the other, they're saying this is like an immutable tradition or thing we believe. And that's why we're saying it. And that's why they're actually not really apologetic in a way about it. They just kind of are saying that for that reason and they're not trying to compromise. So I don't know. You can't, it's kind of hard to, how do you have a, uh, you know, have one version of reality Oh, you can, but like you need to really think hard about how to ground it. Like how how are we grounding it in the shared principles? And like I think we're not grounded in shared principles, most people. So there are gonna be disputes like this, which were probably unimaginable ten years ago. And I think ten years from now we'll be disputing things which are unimaginable today. I think Philip Rafe said that the Western societies are like third world societies, not in the sense that we use the term normally, like poor developing countries, but there's not a you know, specific order everyone's grounded in. It's kind of like floating around and so forth. And I think this issue particularly would decide between race, between technology and demography, because if immigration continues a lot more, most people around the world have more conservative beliefs, so they'll eventually change, I think, the baseline view of this in society. I think, you know, affluent liberals are tend to be less procreative for the most part, so they'll pass down less of their beliefs to their kids, uh, generally. So... You know, if they can't find a way of reproducing without the traditional way, then I think then eventually they'll be snowed in by this. But yeah, I'll see. That's why I think it's going to happen. It'll work out. It'll work out in the end. I mean, this is actually one of the reasons, like, I'm a big proponent of mass immigration. I mean, 
I think it's, well, it's good to have a populist country, especially if you think about our geopolitical strength and confronting China. We do need to kind of, you know, stay at the forefront, in, including through economic growth and population is an important part of that. But also just to get some more sanity in the Democratic Party, the more um, brown people who are able to immigrate, they'll still likely vote for the Democratic Party but maybe not to the same extent. And they're going to put pressure internally on democratic politicians to get with the program and not like spout crazy things on a regular basis. So, I mean, that, that is kind of like, um, yeah, that's, that's one case for immigration at least. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I, I think that I might be repeating Razib a little bit, but uh, I, I think that, this issue is revealing something new and different. It is uh, breaking new grounds in terms of the culture war, which might not be evident right at the beginning, but it does matter. Like once we once we decide to be a society that no longer cares, cares about reality, that prefers a social construction of something over a material reality, um, I think we have you know, left the realm of normal politics altogether. And we are, you know, we are moving towards something very, very new in human history, probably very, very dangerous. So I I think that the lens of the normal culture war lens is a little, it does not fit as neatly Mm. onto this issue because once you divorce uh, reality from the equation, uh, you get, you can get to a lot of different funny places. Um, and to the extent that we can live together while believing these different things, I'm not sure. You know, I think if we have, we have to have an understanding that reality matters and it matters more than a social construction. I think we do have to agree on that as a population in order for us to be a, you know, not just a prop- prosperous nation, but just a functioning nation. So I think that there is something there, something about this the question that this uh, debate um, is addressing that must be something we as a society come to an, an agreement with as much as, as much as that's possible. Listening to you, Sarah, I just feel like I'm, I want you on my side of the culture war. That, that was, I mean, regardless if I disagree with certain, you know, certain points of emphasis, well, it's also kind of funny that, you sound like a true religious conservative mm. when you're actually an, um, an atheist just, and just an just Muslim. A, it's just fascinating. I'm, I just feel like I'm I'm, I'm having trouble Matt, processing this. Imagine imagine Matt Walsh is an attractive young brown woman. <laughs> I I, just, I, I, I don't. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so I think um, this has been a great discussion. Uh, We're obviously opening something that's going to continue for a while. Um, I hope people out there um, found this discussion interesting. I I also think uh, there has been a little bit of contravention of stereotypes here. Um, I have been mentioning in the chat, uh, the two people here who are self-identified Muslims uh, seem to be taking the more, uh, you know, lib side on this. uh, the more tolerant, <laughs> moderate side, and uh, the two uh, atheists um, are um, like you know. I mean, I just I let Sarah do the dirty work. Like I have strong opinions on this, which I um, I, I don't want to get myself canceled too much more. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always put the brown women in front. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like the, the lesson of history. So, uh, but yeah, I, I pretty much agree with Sarah. I, I, I really don't see any daylight between us. I think this is a big deal. I do have to say, guys, um, you know, talk to me when you have kids. Um, I think like, you have like, a, you know, and I, I know uh, Murtaza, that'll be sooner than later. And uh, Shadi, we're working on you. But, you know, I'm praying for you, brother. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Great talking to you guys. Okay. Later, Razib.